in a lot of ways it's unfortunate all the, the conglomeration of uh, factors that have led us to this point in the particularly in the west if you will um and there's some things from you know kind of pre-reformation that would be nice if we still had but the reality is is it's kind of the the toothpaste has come out and we can't put it back in hmm. so it's really in my view is much more of uh how do we reimagine a new way forward grabbing a hold of the rich tradition that we have um but saying, uh, I don't know if we can just go back. Hello and welcome to Why Are We Talking About Rabbits? So, I'm getting this a lot lately. Rabbits are the things jumping around on the internet. The question, the title of the show is ironic. We're not talking about rabbits on this show. Why are we talking about rabbits? That's what we're not talking about on Why Are We Talking About Rabbits? That's right. That's this podcast. First Things Foundation sponsors it and you listen to it. And today we talk to a dyed in the wool Protestant. Now, I say that jokingly because most Protestants don't want to be called Protestants. In fact, yeah, because like they're protesters. No, they call themselves Christians. And this is Darren Reese. From Abilene, Abilene Christian University in Texas. He's a master's in divinity. He does all kinds of neat things with missionary work. And we talk about his Protestant background in the Church of Christ and his perspective on what it means to spread the gospel in places where they already have it. Bum, bum, bum. And where they don't, quote, don't have it. This is a really interesting talk that gets also into something that's fascinating, which is what do you do with this whole concept of evolution and Christianity? On what time? So uh, welcome, Darren Reese. Darren, tell folks uh, about where you are and what you do, but you're essentially, you're a master's in divinity and you're going to dig into some questions about new world, old world stuff with us, but maybe Give folks just a little bit about your background. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you inviting me uh, to join you again. Uh, I really enjoyed our last conversation uh, very nice. a few months ago. Um, but yeah, I'm, I am I live in Abilene, Texas, and uh, I pretty much grew up in Texas. And uh, I went to Abilene Christian University, and I now work at Abilene Christian University, and that's in Abilene, Texas. Um, it's a private liberal arts university. Um, but I, uh, spent a number of years in Northern Thailand, um, and did mission work there, uh, did a number of things, uh, including we, uh, opened and ran a pizza restaurant while we were there. And we did some economic development stuff while we were there and, um, moved back to the States and, uh, Worked for the International Rescue Committee, uh, refugee resettlement for a bit. Uh, But currently, I am the director of experiential learning at ACU. And experiential learning here involves study abroad and mission opportunities, undergraduate research, service learning, those types of things. Mm -hmm. And then I also teach um, classes in global mission in our College of Biblical Studies. So So you see how we we overlap. This is so in the way that you've entered international waters as a christian but 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 and beyond right as a teacher back home sending folks over so i have this similar weird thing where i keep entering into the international world and then we start this foundation and so our ethos not our people always but our ethos is something like ancient christian it's orthodox but I get a lot of pushback about this. And if you go land somewhere, what do you think is your ethos? Like the Darren Reese ethos when you're out there doing stuff, something like a mission, what is your ethos? Well, if I were to put it in a kind of Christian tradition, terms like you say orthodox i always joke how 
I, I'm a part of a, a heritage called Churches of Christ. So Protestant came out of, um, you know, the North American context um, a little over 200 years ago, um, sees itself as part of the larger Christian tradition. But so I'm part of the Church of Christ. It's a, might describe it as a kind of a free church movement. So churches, there's no governing body or hierarchy. It's uh, autonomous churches. Um, I guess you classify as fairly low church, uh, historically. Um, but I, myself, you know, I'm, I, I love churches of Christ, uh, the relationships we have, but theologically, philosophically, um, I'm a little more eclectic. Um, so I always joke how I'm kind of a weird mix of Mennonite, Anglican, and Orthodox, and how those go together is it's a little bit of a mystery. You don't really put <laughs> Mennonites and Orthodox typically together, um, but I, I kind of pull from various places. So different parts of my theology and practice kind of connect in different ways. Do, do you do you think it? Do you think it matters? It's like Phil, step out of theology for a minute because we can get into that. You know, there are real true theological differences. Go to philosophy for a second, like the mind that you bring, does it matter? Does it matter? I think a lot of people want to say that doesn't matter. I hear that all the time. Do you think it matters? Well, I I think it matters. Um, I don't think it ultimately matters, meaning, um, you know, I think all brothers and sisters in Christ and um, I don't have any uh, sense of, you know, this is the right way to think or the right tradition Mm -hmm. necessarily. Um, I think it matters in that um, it's important to know the context from which we come or the heritage and traditions that have shaped us and to be aware, cognizant of that um, and to see how that might help building bridges, but also at times be a hindrance. So I think the self-awareness matters, um, but I don't think it matters in the sense of um, you know, I got to stay in my lane and, and this is the right way to think. Um, I would, I hope I'd be more ecumenical than that. So what's positive. And I'm asking earnestly, mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're a professor at a really, you know, a well-respected Christian university in Texas. So in some ways for a lot of people on this podcast listening, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Texas has this resonance right today with this modern culture, like te- Texas don't take no, no garbage. <laughs> Texas is old world. I feel like Texas is old world America, but America is like the newest world there is. So we'll talk about that too. But so here you are like a Christian mission from Texas. So right away, you're categorized for sure by me um, <laughs> for better or worse. So like, how, does, does, does it matter like that? You're, you said ecumenical, can you take everything in? How do you know when to stop taking everything in and rejecting some things? And we're talking about ecclesiology, right? Mm. How do we know what the church is? So mm. where, where, how do you do that? And by the way, we can, you can ask me too, because it's not easy for either of us, but how do you do it? Yeah. You know, it's, it's difficult. I don't, there's not a formula. Um, I think one, I think it's remaining open to the fact that maybe I don't have all the answers or my tradition doesn't have all the answers. Um, so I think it begins with an openness. And so then with some humility um, to be able to go and see, oh, so maybe the differences are because of different contexts, different experiences, different influences, and to try to understand those differences and see if we can, mm-hmm. you know, find ways to connect and and yeah, I think there are some things that I, from certain traditions that I wouldn't adopt or, or adhere to, um, not necessarily because I think I'm right, but just sometimes it doesn't fit, right? I mean, there's, you kind of have this web of meaning that you are always negotiating as you're thinking theologically and philosophically. And sometimes two things are just incongruent. You can't hold these two things together. You know, I mean, I, it's hard to be a... Uh, a dogmatic Calvinist and an Arminian at the same time, right? right. I mean, I think God's right. you know, doing certain things. And so, you know, I don't think it's a matter of saying I'm right necessarily, but if I've, if I'm holding on to these few things that I think are pretty core, that's probably going to mean I'm not adopting certain things. Not that I don't think that's those 
traditions or those people are wrong or terrible. But for myself, I'm going to say, yeah, that doesn't really square with some other um, kind of foundational, that, that maybe may not be the right word. But um, so, yeah, I think it's just kind of negotiating that and, and always being adapting to new things you're learning, new experiences. I mean, that's my thing is like, I mean, when I went to graduate school in theology, being exposed to all these different ways of thinking, different traditions, the history of the church, mm-hmm. other philosophical assumptions. I mean, man, my mind is just being blown. So I'm having to adapt. Some of the things that I thought were pretty solid, I'm ooh, you know wrestling with now. Sure. And then I go spend time overseas and boy, I mean, a whole new level of you got to rethink things. And so, you know, always trying to to be open and, and adapting and and open to you know, new things that God might be revealing. So in terms of some people listening to this will will know a lot of these terms, but I'll just simplify. So in terms of the edges of the church or in terms of ecclesiology, um, one of the things the Orthodox do is, is they know who's in and who's out by who's being commemorated at the liturgy. Another way to say it is, is who is in your prayer circle? (laughs) I mean, I'm not using Orthodox language there. And so which bishops are you praying for? Because we think the bishop is a representation, not, 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 he's not Christ, but he stands in place of that we might recognize, not as a pope, Mm -hmm. but as one who leads the church. And so if you have a bishop, you have, you're in the church. Who's your bishop? That doesn't resound with like a Protestant's not thinking like that, right? But, Correct. Yeah. So here's what yeah, we I mean, would, here's an argument, or here's a that's not the right word. Here is a thought I want you to wrestle with. If you're not thinking like that or something like that, does it not bode well for the ability to even define what the church is. And that's what many Orthodox would say to Protestants is your ecclesiology has allowed for the total dissolution of anything like a church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's not a surprising <laughs> feedback. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I think defining the church and you know, who's, who's a part uh, is trickier in Protestantism at large. I mean, certain, Traditions within Protestantism, Protestantism are going to be come down differently there. Uh, um, and especially when you get to like churches of Christ, so kind of free church, autonomous churches. I mean, nobody really assigned that. So, yeah, there's no bishop. Um, it's more about kind of whoever is a part of this local community of faith. That's mm-hmm. the church you're in. And that local church is a part of uh, God's universal church. Um and there are even different ways within Protestantism uh, where some want to find some boundaries there and to kind of say who's in and who's out. And others might kind of leave that uh, those boundaries uh, murkier, if you right. will, and they're comfortable right. with that. And um, yeah, but I, I, it is definitely different than particularly or, uh, Orthodox and Roman Catholic, especially mm-hmm. um, that kind of that sense. Because e- even if you take things like, Eucharist, where um, some Protestant groups, um, you know, practice open communion. Right. Like there's no, there's no sin. Like if you show up and you want to take, you want to receive, I should say, uh, the Eucharist, then you can. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very different, um, a different way to think about it. So For that's sure. a, that's a clear practice that kind of gets at that different way of the church as a, as a bounded set. So you, you and I were meeting people who aren't, they're not even in Venn diagram as far as the potential Christian church conversation goes. So we, we can come back to that, our conversation, but what are the implications of your ecclesiology or your attitude, whatever, like Darren Reese's attitude, when you go overseas to say Thailand, where there's Buddhists or like, I wonder what the implications are when you're teaching them Christianity or that sounds so pedantic, but when you're sharing your worldview, uh-huh. which worldview does it ever come up? For instance, in Russia, if Protestants were to show up, which they do in Ethiopia, mm-hmm. what a weird thing. What are the implications when you're actually talking to other Christians? There must be 
do you stop right at that point or what happens, you know, overseas? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it gets tricky. I mean, with other, well, Thailand's kind of unique because it's a little different than Russia or Ethiopia in that it doesn't have a long history of Christianity. Right. There's no a long establishment of like the Orthodox church or, you it's know, cleaner there somehow cleaner or something. Yeah. So it's, so it's very different. So it's, it, it, you know, I think it feels different when you go to a context where Christianity is on the margins, which is actually few countries. I mean, most countries, a lot of countries have a Christian majority and typically there's, it's either predominantly Roman Catholic, predominantly Orthodox, predominantly Lutheran, whatever. Um, but when you go to a place like Thailand, which is less than 1% Christian, it definitely changes your posture when you're now on the margin. You're now kind of the minority group and you're now, you know, in fellowship with Thai Christians, but they're they're the ones on the out. You know, they're they're trying to navigate what it does mean to be a part of this church, part to be in the Christian faith where everybody around them is Buddhist, basically. Mm-hmm. Um it is a very different dynamic than navigating ecumenism, you know, in the United States where it's, you know, mm-hmm. are you in that denomination or that, or, you know, it's very different. So it does get uh, interesting uh, overseas. And so, yeah, I mean, in Thailand, when you're living among Buddhists, I mean, I, my approach is, uh, you know, the church we're at, I mean, very open to, Hey, if somebody wants to come and, and sure. join us and be a part of what we're doing, then welcome, you know, and then I often would go and be a part of what they're doing, right. um, you know, uh, building those relationships and and so forth. And so, yeah, it's a very different. Uh, I've seen it get messy out right there. Yeah. Uh, sure. In Ethiopia, they, when, I, when we were there, they, they passed a law in the North, which is the, that's the traditional holy sites many of them in the north the lalibela and axum and anyway they passed a law there basically the 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 abbots of the monastery said pass this law and so protestants or non-orthodox could not own land they could come and preach but they could not own land and build a a church mm-hmm. in russia it's similar in in haiti the Biggest fights I had. It was very weird, right? Because not all these places was I a quote a missionary. This is another thing. That's a next conversation. That's the next question for you is what's a missionary? Because it gets really weird. But but in Haiti, where I was quote a missionary, in other words, I was working directly for a cleric. Like so in the orthodoxy, there's this distinction that goes on. Basically, are you trying to plant an altar? This is the question. Because you can do just think about it, like. I could walk through this neighborhood right now and be a quote, a mission. Why? Because somebody read a Bible in orthodoxy. That's not, that's not really relevant. Almost. They could read a Bible and make terrible conclusions and they've actually gone farther away from Christianity. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in some ways, orthodoxy is saying, did you plant an altar? Therefore have you consecrated, which demands mm-hmm. a priest. It's almost like that simple. Mm-hmm. If you're not doing that, then you're not, a missionary. So we're in Haiti though. The hardest conversations I have were with other Christian missionaries who weren't Orthodox. It was wild. Like, because the fundamental, sorry for talking so much, but for the fundamental presupposition of almost every Christian there, Christian missionary, the presupposition was Bible Christianity, get it into someone's hand and have them read it. And it was weird because that wasn't our fundamental proposition. And, and man, they came at me. I'm not Mm. saying they weren't good people. They took care of us. They were beautiful, but boy, I, whoa. And I had icons. So there was this whole moment where they're like, Oh, is this voodoo? It was fascinating, man. And it gets me to think that's why you're on in some part. Cause I find you fascinating in our last conversation. There's such implications when you change the, presuppositions like the whole thing unravels differently you must see this at times when you're working right with other mission work yeah for sure i mean i you know within mission work especially um you know i've definitely seen the like we just need to get bibles and hands and and that's you know get them reading scripture and then good things will come and 
great. I mean, yeah, people, I hope people read the Bible, but uh, that seems a pretty uh, narrow-minded and, and uh, reductionistic. So, mm. but I, but the other part of it is I think with especially Protestant and I would especially even narrow down to like evangelical or quasi-evangelical uh, Christians within Protestantism, mission work comes down to we need to tell people the gospel and people need to accept Jesus as their savior. And I'm, I'm being, I'm simplifying, being too simple, uh, simplistic, but there's that basic, let's tell people the gospel and the gospel is believe in Jesus so you can be saved mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and everything else kind of centers around that, but that's the primary, the primary thing. And I, I do push against that, which makes me not fit real uh, neatly into uh, uh, the people I'm usually around uh, in, in mission work. Um, that's not necessarily how I view one mission work, but also that's actually not how I view the gospel or at least the center of the gospel. And so that, that changes a lot when, when the center of, of what you're trying to do is not the same as most of the people around you. But I do think that's common in modern missions is that basically at the heart of it is let's get people uh let's tell people that jesus came to save you and and help and make get them to convert by saying jesus is my savior now we talk old world new world and and essentially you know because we've spoken off camera but it's sort of the the pivot between things pre-enlightenment so Pre Isaac Newton, Francis Bacon, and then the philosophers, the deist philosophers, and then post sort of science. So that approach you just said right there, get people to know Christ. Do you think that is new world or old world if you had to place it? New world. New world. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's because I think it comes from um, dualistic thinking, which is a you know, post-enlightenment phenomenon, this, Mm -hmm. you know, bifurcation of uh, the physical and the spiritual, the private Mm -hmm. and public, the body and soul, the, all these dualisms that come in the modern period in the new world that then begins to shape our theology. And so where particularly Protestants, I would say, and especially um, newer evangelicals and other newer so churches of christ are not traditionally evangelical but there's some similarities but we're not evangelical but movements like our own um you know get that inherit some of that and it shapes our theology to where you know now it's about uh going to heaven it's about you know basically the earth is gonna pass away so so what we got to worry about is getting souls into heaven and it's about my personal relationship with Jesus. So it's a very private matter. Um, again, I'm, you know, it's not always that sure black and white, but definitely that, that influence is there and it's shaping that even to the core of what's the center of the Christian faith, the gospel that within we can articulate the gospel as, you know, getting souls into heaven. Well, I don't, the majority of Christian history would not say that's the center of uh, the Christian faith. Um, but I think that's a, uh, large part result of a new world, you know, I see. So I, I agree with you. And I think it's normal and natural for the, any epoch, right. Any era to be sort of an amalgamation of ideas. Right. In, in other words, any Christian from this 18th century is going to adopt 18th century sort of waves of thought. So if, if, if you think of thought as like, I don't know, as like a weather pattern, even if you and I are standing still within the weather pattern, it's still affecting us. Mm-hmm. And then the degree to which we imbibe the weather pattern and actually live according to it, will, I, that would be described for the Orthodox anyway, as a type of heresy. You can stand still in a heretical era or a heretical epoch, but if you start to embrace the weather pattern and imagine it as 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 the point of your existence, then you're not fighting against the heresy. So given that, I get what you're saying, but there's a okay, so it gets a little gets a little creepy though, or it gets a little dangerous. And here's where the ecclesiology comes back for me and you. 
how do you know when you're upside down inside that storm? Because what happened to me, I was a Protestant or Episcopalian. So, you know, they're sort of in between. And I, I don't want to say I woke up because it's, I don't know. It sounds pedantic and like, you're still asleep, Darren. I don't really think like that. All right. That's not what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But I woke up to this notion that there was a place that was still within all of these various weather, weather patterns. Mm-hmm. And that place was within me, but it was nurtured in the Eucharist or it properly said in the tradition mm-hmm. of or culture of Christ known as liturgy slash the church. And what happened was, is it wasn't like a proposition. It became true to me in standing still inside the church. You know, Dostoevsky talks like that, which is like, I don't really know about your theology, but I know what happens to me when I am told or tell the story of Christ within the church. He just goes like, that's just the one. It wins the storytelling contest. So I'm that. And that's what happened to me. So now when I'm talking to you, I'm trying to say, oh, like, how does it come back for, for the Protestant world? If it ha- Does it have to come back? Do you guys, does the Protestant world have to wake up to this or do, I don't, I sound like a jerk, but I think yeah. these are important questions for you and for all of us on some level. Right. Yeah. Well, I, so let me respond by, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll talk about maybe a, a con of Protestantism, but then a, maybe a potential con of Orthodox. And then we sure. can maybe talk about some pros so we don't get ne- <laughs> down the negative. Uh, it's 2022. Pathway. We don't want to go. We, we're yeah. trying to balance things. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think there is some, well, let me say this. There is something uh, admirable uh, about the Orthodox church, about be- this sense of grounding that comes with being in the Orthodox church Um and I, one of the reasons I say I'm orthodox theologically is the high sacramental theology. Um, that is a deficiency in many Protestant uh, traditions. Um, and I think that's, that's something I wish we could grab a hold to, that this high sense of the sacrament and the Eucharist, especially. Um, I mean, I, so many of the churches I get to be a part of Eucharist may not even be there, you know, Mm -hmm. when they gather. And even when it is, it's this thing that kind of happens on the side. Um, This is, you know, kind of let's get through it quickly. And I I do think uh, we're missing out there um, by not having a a stronger sense of what happens when the people of God gather around the table like that. So that, that I appreciate about orthodoxy and many other things. Um, and, and so I think ortho, uh, I mean, Protestantism, one of the challenges, and when you say we need to wake up, there's a lot of re- ways we need to wake up. Some of that waking up is, I think, going back, right, and, and recapturing things that's in orthodoxies and Catholicism, it's in, in, in beyond, uh, in what I might call just, you know, the historical church, right? Um, but I think one of the challenges Protestantism have is it's, it's, it's very cerebral. It's about thinking the right things. Mm-hmm. We might use the language about believing the right things, but when we say belief, we really mean thinking the right things. Um, and I think some of that shifting to where now it's much more about experience and how do I experience God? How am I moved in the spirit and things like that? And all those things are a part of it. I think it is about our minds matter. I think about ex- our hearts and experiences matter. Um, but it puts a lot of the onus on me. Yes. Am I thinking correctly? Am I putting myself where I can feel and sense God? Um, and it's not being swept up into something larger that the movement of God among God's people that happens in the sacraments and, and beyond. So I think that that's a challenge that Protestants have is it, it, it puts a lot on us to kind of figure it out, you know, um, what's the next thing we're going to do? to, to get us, uh, in the right direction. Mm-hmm. I will say one thing about orth- the Orthodox church that I, I feel tension in myself is because I, I do have a lot of, um, 
admiration and and connection and thought and practice with the Orthodox Church. But I also, as a training as a missionary and in intercultural studies, is I think context matters. And not just matters, context is almost everything mm-hmm. um, in that the way we know, the way we practice, the way meaning is made and understood um, is context specific. Um, and so I think there is this tension between wanting to hold on to this um, deep tradition of 2000 years and even beyond. Um, as far as God's people, but 2000 years of church thought and practice, but what do we do when we show up in Thailand or um, Haiti or somewhere else? And the context is so different that I think orthodoxy sometimes doesn't allow for enough of local communities of faith in that particular context to say, what does it mean to follow the way of Jesus in this place that might need to look differently because, you know, I mean, historically a lot of orthodoxy is shaped by, uh, you know, uh, the Byzantine uh, era and yeah. the culture yeah. of um, the Mediterranean, the Mediterranean the culture so forth. Of, the, of the bishops. So, yeah. Right. So there's a sense of which orthodoxy, orthodoxy has that, the context in which it emerged, you know, and it's stopped years ago. It stopped. Has, yeah, it's kind of stuck and said, this is the way it is. And I think there's a sense in which God does move in fresh ways and context shapes things. And so there's the, that's the tension. I think there's too much sure. of that on Protestantism of saying, we got to figure this out. And there's really no grounding almost. And Orthodoxy doesn't say, well, what does this mean in this new context that might may mean we have to change some things or adapt or allow others to even say, this is what following Jesus looks like in this sure. place. Okay, Darren, let's do one thing. Let's take a break for one second and we'll come right back. Hi guys. This is the commercial for today. It's brought to you by First Things Foundation. We are little paratroopers that assist people around the world. And guess what? We need your support. This break from our conversation ends in this appeal that you go right now, click on www.first-things.org, jump on to our monthly giving, join us with a donation each month in your most fantastic way. Write a comment, write me, I'll write you back. We are moving and shaking and doing cool things. Please become a monthly donor as we move to make our goals become a reality on Wattar. So there's this inclination since I've been Orthodox. It's really clear. I think it's really... um it's endemic to the human experience. There tends to be two types of thinkers within the Orthodox convert world. And there's, they tend to be, you know, one is, is what you're describing, which is I want certitude. And they tend to bend towards something like eventually becoming schismatic. And then you have folks who they, they associate clear lines or, replanting tradition is arrogant and they tend to move toward heresy when they think, you know, when their thought or their life goes outside of the Orthodox context. In other words, there's an inclination toward schism and toward heresy, but I'll say just in defense, it's not really defense as much as the saints, like St. Herman, Cyril and Methodius. If, if you watch those guys, they they are tasked in some ways with, spreading the Byzantine culture, but that's not what actually happens. What actually happens is they end up giving the Aleuts, the Inuits, or the Slavs their own language in which to worship the God that they know. And so I I agree with that as a potential. For us, we would call that the the, the, the papal temptation. 
and that's one reason that the Orthodox aren't, you know, so hip always on this whole Pope idea is there is, you know, it's Christ's temptation up on the mountain with the, you know, you can have all this and then stamp it with your, your name. I've, mm-hmm. I, I hear that. And, but I do, I do, I would say that that's not really the experience of the ones on the wall. We always, you know, the posters in your room when you're growing up, like Michael Jordan, or whatever, the icons, those aren't the, the cats that yeah. get the icons in the Orthodox church. The ones who attain to, you know, the, the Caesar or papism that I think so many in the West talk about. Those people exist, mm-hmm. but they're not the ones we tend to, when we try to get to the purity of quote mission work. And that's the other thing mission work for first things. And also for orthodoxy is always um, it's, it's warring against yourself. So it's an actual attempt to serve others in that you might become fully like Christ. It's not about them, which sounds weird and sort of like selfish or something. But St. Seraphim Seraph says, you're given that broken person so that you might stop being the broken person you are. Mm-hmm. And so you save yourself and a thousand get saved. Uh, that, but it's very hard in the modern world, especially the scientific Western world, to explain what I just explained because there's no product. The product is something like the quiet you, mm-hmm. like the silent soul who suddenly recognizes the world differently. Well, how do you sell that to people who gave you, you know, $25,000 to go someplace? Oh, look, we got two quiet souls out of it. What? <laughs> it doesn't look good on a graph. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, wait, but how many people are going to church? Uh, there's like four. Right. But if we get the chief to, to convert, then the whole 20,000 people will convert. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. They don't get to convert because the chief, I mean, that's how it works. Yeah, that's yep. Then what do you do? So, like, did they convert because the chief said so? Mm-hmm. That gets wild. What would be your answer to that? So, in history, I'm talking folks who are listening to most of Christian conversions between basically St. Luke, uh, St. John, and I don't know, Luther are the kind I just described. Like, one or two people do it, and then everyone has to do it. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is the way it's happened a lot, most of the time. And I, uh, I'm not sure if, you know, is, is it a, is it good or bad? I think it just is, you know. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think it it changes when conversion is not the goal I'm looking mm-hmm. for. And I think that's where that the question you just raised is becomes challenging. When particularly Protestants are going to say, well, the goal is to convert people. And what I mean by that is individual people believing in Jesus so that they can go to heaven. Um, Well, then, yeah, the chief come into faith and then the rest of the village coming or the tribe coming along with them. Wait, wait, wait. That wasn't an authentic conversion. Um, We got to know when that moment was. Um, I'm not sure if I'm so concerned with that moment. Interesting. Um, yeah. And that's actually, you know, honestly, where orthodoxy, orthodoxy has been so helpful to me. Um, I mean, just to kind of tell you autobiographically, it it opened, my eyes were opened when, you know, again, I grew up kind of just squarely in Protestantism, like that's mm-hmm. been my experience mm-hmm. and has some certain assumptions and this is the way it is. And I, one of the really big moments was for some reason I read the life of Moses by Gregory of Nyssa. Oh, you and, did. I have that. Yeah. Right and that was here. one of my, grab yeah, <laughs> that was one of my first introductions, at least as far as a, a primary source I've read about Eastern Orthodoxy. Eastern Orthodoxy. Um, but it was the first time where it, I wasn't learning about Eastern Orthodoxy. It was Orthodoxy yeah. was shaping me. Right. Um, and it was, I remember reading Life of Moses, and I mean, it begins with a question that almost didn't make sense to me. And that was, how do you be perfect? You know, this be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, you know, from the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going, is that what we're trying to do? I haven't heard that, you know, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, and I think he ends actually Life of Moses talking about that 
if we're approaching the Christian faith as either fear of what might happen to me or anticipation of a reward I might get, then we're off on the wrong path yeah. that it's about becoming. Um, I think he even says um, to become perfect is to become a friend of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that this is a lifelong journey of, of virtue and character development right. and becoming like God. And so I, I, I remember reading that and it was just a, wait, what? Well, because my whole thing was, well, it's about people saying, you know, they believe in Jesus. And then at that moment they're in, right. And now their souls are going to heaven and that's kind of the, the heart of it. And life of Moses was one of the things that really got me thinking very differently. And since then of you know, got a lot of different directions, but that when, when you change what you're trying to do and the language I would say is instead of being in or being uh, saved and, and going to heaven, but instead the language I would use is, is that my goal is participation in the life of God in the life yeah. of the triune wow. God that, that that's my tell us what changes so many of the questions, right? So then I'm not, I don't even have to, not worried about you don't even have things. to ask a lot of them right yeah because we're, we're we're talking about different things and so and it definitely in mission circles that's not common way to talk and it, i was and it just gonna say common. so now i gotta ask you another question <laughs> yeah you're gonna wow it's nuanced i can already hear now i'm sure there are plenty of people that know what you're talking about in, oh yeah in protestant yeah. circles but my point is is yeah. some people will never have been taught that within your own tradition, I'm sure. Yeah. So what do you see? Give us insight or give me insight. What's happening to this collection of Christians called Protestants? Is, is the culture, is the culture leaving it? Is it, is it running out in that Because I would claim this, this is a, I'm, I'm talking too much, but I like this question. I'm getting to it. I promise. I would claim that Protestantism is part of the new world experiment, which is actually all of it is, is ending now is, is is postmodern. What's going to happen to Christian confessors of Christ in the Protestant tradition as the culture goes the way it goes. Do you guys think you can reconcile and remember and put back together something like a more Protestant country? Like, what do Protestants, what are they saying to one another about this new cultural reality called postmodern America? Well, that's a, that's a big question. I know, gonna, uh, I know. I'm going to try to, let me try to answer it in three ways. <laughs> um, okay. One, I would just say, is Protestantism, you know, kind of up against the ropes, if you will? <laughs> um Yes and no, in that if we're talking about Protestantism in North America, in the global north, you know, how, whatever term you want to use. Um, yeah, I think there's some serious challenges. Um, now, I also, and I know you know this, but I wouldn't want to say Protestantism is, you know, this kind of monolithic. Yes. You know, everybody's yes. the same. Yes. There's such diversity, right? So some movements within Protestantism, I think are more suited for the moment. Mm-hmm. So with that caveat, um, yeah, I think there's some serious challenges in the global North in Protestantism. However, uh, I would say that some of them, the, the, the center of Christianity and where I think really um, God is moving through God's people is in the global South and in Protestants mm. in the global South. Now also in, in Orthodox Christians and Catholics as well. But, mm. but when you think about it in the global South, um, they're not up against the ropes in the it's sense true. of, I mean, I think some great things are happening there and God's moving. And I think especially as um, they're not necessarily dealing with a coming out of a, you know, the enlightenment and all mm. those assumptions, but also because, uh, a lot of those churches are on the margins and often, uh, you know, that's where uh, I think the spirit moves and the gospel really moves is among people who are on the margins. And that's one of the problems with Protestantism in the global North is we've gotten this, come to this point where we don't know how 
a lot of ways to move forward, if you will, if we're not in a place of power. All of our strategies and assumptions come from being at the center and being a the faith of a nation. Well, that's been a problem, actually, not, not you know, that's a bug, not how the system should be. And um, we're seeing that in the global south where they're not coming from this long kind of what we might, what we might call Christendom, wow. you know. Um, so I think I think. It's a yes and yes and no. So I think Protestantism has a lot to offer, but it's especially in the global South, really great things um, are happening. The other thing I would say is, you know, what the way forward is in in this new world, as you talk about, I think is is challenging because I, I agree that I think we need to go back and grab some things from the old world, right? I think we need to. I think we need to do a lot more reading of. The early church fathers and mothers, and um, and getting so in ca- capturing some of that, reimagining that, so forth. However, I I I don't know if we can go back though. Ultimately, right? Mm-hmm. So I think this is um, I think if you've read Charles Taylor's a Secular Age, I think is one of the most important books in, in the last twenty years of naming some of this. Is in a lot of ways it's unfortunate all the, the conglomeration of. Uh, factors that have led us to this point in the, particularly in the West, if you will. Um, and there's some things from, you know, kind of pre-Reformation that would be nice if we still had, but the reality is, is it's kind of the, the toothpaste has come out and we can't put it back in. Hmm. So it's really, in my view, is much more of uh, how do we reimagine a new way forward, grabbing a hold of the rich tradition that we have Um but saying, uh, I don't know if we can just go back. What does it look like now that we've gone through this new world, this modern period? What does it look like? And I'm not sure if we even know what that is. I don't. I, I can't tell you what that is. But I, I don't think it's just a regress. But I do think it needs to get serious about um, grabbing hold of those those core things of. Um, early church history and, and the the richness of the tradition that we have, mm-hmm. but then saying, what does that mean for a people that have passed through the enlightenment and this kind of radical individualism and all that comes with that? What does that look like? And what do we learn from, you know, people in the global South um, and, and posture ourselves as the learners and the mm-hmm. ones that are saying, Hey, you're people in the global South, you're doing some good things. How can we learn from you um, and, and kind of follow their lead? So this is, you gave me about 30 things that that's brilliant though. And insightful for me, I don't, I don't know those. It's funny. I know Episcop, Episcopalian terminologies and, but I, they were never evangelical concepts that I was introduced to. And then I jumped, you know, and jumped, I jumped through into this Orthodox world, really mainly through the Muslim world. And I haven't really ever been revisiting any kind of evangelical conversation. So that's, that's helpful to me. One thing I was thinking about is, is your analysis. And I know it's just, it's just a partial analysis on a podcast. It's, it's not, I get it. I wonder how much of that analysis is uh, indebted to or embedded in this very linear concept of history, which is enlightenment style narrative. But I think that's one of the things I learned in orthodoxy is there's this spiral helio, I forget mm-hmm. the name, but it's it's a spiral understanding of history that it both goes around, but also up. Mm-hmm. So there is a talos, there is an end and a purpose to it all. It's not just, but in some ways, I, I would just say this in listening to that, in some ways, if you take the linear approach to understanding Christianity, the narrative is linear. If you if you assume that, mm-hmm. yeah, orthodoxy is sort of in a mothball, right? For for the last thousand years, and there's the Turks and the Soviets, and everybody's just sort of frozen. I mean, even in that narrative, that kind of makes orthodoxy cool because as it unthaws or whatever in this postmodern world it kind of has a nice aroma weirdly because it's new, but old. And it kind of, it's like, I can grab onto this. I make sense. So even in that narrative, but I think though, forgive me if I can get this right, this is complicated, but philosophically or theologically, 
if you think about the world covered in water, like Noah's, you know, during the time of the, the great flood, the ark isn't really going north or it's not really heading in a linear direction. It has nowhere to go in that sense. There, there is no end. You just got to get up out of the water and into the ark. That's the, that's the idea of the church in time. It doesn't, it, it's not sailing for some, like, it's more like an invitation. It's an eternal invitation, one that will be applicable to us in 2022 and applicable in 2 billion in 22 or whatever, however long this world goes. Mm -hmm. And so that's the way I would understand the narrative. And I, I hear where you're, what you're saying. There needs to be a, a type of new packaging or something, mm -hmm. but it feels to me in my experience that it's, it's already, it's already in existence, but I'm orthodox. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I'm cheating, yeah. you know. No. Yeah. No, and I and I get what you're saying. I think there's a that is what something is, is beautiful about orthodoxy is that you have, like you said, this arc that you kind of get on that there's, there's some the sacramental theology um that people of God participate in, like that's that's something that is constant, right? I think what I mean by we can't just go back is is there is a, a philosophical development. And that's what I mean in that you can't, you know, the, the early church fathers and mothers are, have inherited this, you know, kind of a, a, a Jewish background yeah. and worldview. And then, you know, you get particularly Plato. So play, here's Platonism influencing mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And then, you know, especially when, Aquinas, you get Aristotle showing up again. And so you, but you, so you have these Greek philosophers. Well, it's shaping the, the early creeds and the early uh, treatises that they're writing is they're influenced by Plato, right? Well, then you get Aristotle shows back up in the West, at least Aristotle was always it was around more in the East. But well, now all of a sudden, okay, Aristotle's influencing. Well, then you also have these other philosophical things. Well, then you get to the modern period and all the philosophical changes that we've talked about from old world to new world, that it's not that I'm talking, yeah, chron chronological is the only way to think about time, but philosophical assumptions. And then the thing, the way in which that shapes us, you know, it's like, you can't go, I don't know how we go back. Right. Yeah, the, the, yeah. the cat was out of the bag in a way. Right. Yeah. So now it's like, Oh, now what do I do after all these philosophical developments that have led us to this point in the, you know, 21st century in the West, where we are in this new world, can we erase all the new world philosophical yeah. assumptions and go back? No, I don't think we can do that. So yes, we need to grab a hold of a lot of the stuff from the old world, but it's not going to be just, um, you know, this, uh, the second iteration of it looking exactly the same. Right, it's right. going to be grab a hold of that, but it's going to be new because now we're, we're still dealing with all this, post-enlightenment uh, development. Well, it's the, in some ways you're discussing, and we could take this down the road there, although I don't think we, it's too big of a topic. I think you're discussing what is evolution to Christianity or to the Christian narrative. Like, are we, have we become something new in such a way that we're no longer what we were and Therefore, we must address what we've become. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that you're an evolutionist. What I'm saying is, is that that those that conversation is built on the notion of change. Mm -hmm. and it really does speak to the heart of one of the differences, I think, between Protestantism and, and Orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. Orthodoxy, at least now, I'm I'm full. I, I just want to say this. I am rarely Orthodox on any given day. I am, you know, I was. 35 years into my life before I even knew what it was. Okay. So like we're 29 or something. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm always pulling apart at my, at my, my inherited nature. Don't get me wrong. But in doing so, I, I want to say that it, it is a time conversation. Saint, uh, Father Seraphim, he's not a saint. Father Seraphim Rose, he's a really important character on the West Coast in the 70s and 80s. He really challenges the whole concept of evolutionary thought like it's not a proper thought in christianity that something can move from one thing to another i'm not saying you're saying that i think you're coming close to saying something like that 
Yeah, I, I don't know if I would say I would use the term evolutionary as far as like with the philosophy or theology right. evolving, right. the thinking. I don't know about evolving because evolving seems to be doing it better in a sense. And I don't right. necessarily that's right. That's the implication. I don't I don't think that, right? I don't, I don't, but I do think it's different. Um, and that's where again I said context matters because yes. my context is it's different easy. than when Maximus the Confessor was writing, right? That's so right. Uh, I want to draw upon Maximus, and I do because he's great. But um, but I, I am a different context, both you know culturally, linguistically, all that, but also philosophically. I mean, there's some things yeah. that are different now yeah. that I've that are it's the water I'm swimming in, um, and so because my context matters, that's going to shape the way I think about faith and God, the world, all these things, the way I live it out is going to be different it doesn't mean better but it means different and i think being aware of that difference actually allows us to then have a level of self-awareness to see maybe actually where i'm off for one right by having that self-awareness i go oh maybe i'm wrong there but also to say well this is where i am i'm gonna i'm gonna dig in with you know where i'm at in my context i'm not in seventh century you know (laughs) North Africa or whatever that might be. So let's finish with this real quick. So I think you and I, I won't speak for you. I'll speak for me. Things change, man. <laughs> like, okay, we got that. I totally fundamentally understand that. Yet at the same time, we're told I will be with the church will be with you forever. I will be with you forever. I mean, there's all these implications about forevers and eternities and unchanging logos so it's the paradox. It's two things happening at the same time. And so I guess my question to you is, is where is that thing in the world that is unchanging? And it, for the East, for the ancient church, and I, Catholicism to some point, you know, to, to a large degree, it's on the altar. This is one of the issues. This is one of the problems, I think, that confronts us when, on this screen. It's the thing that <laughs> separates us right there on some level. Is it does feel like that's true. Otherwise, if everything's changing, that's why I brought up the evolutionary narrative. If everything is changing, yeah, then we've encrusted upon a crust, upon crust, upon crust, a new man. And then we can't go back. But back's not the right term. But anyway... You see where I'm going with this. I don't know that we can claim any certainty about the Christian revelation if we don't have the altar. Hmm. I don't know how else we do it. I, I, uh, it's in the word, something, but in the interpretation of the Bible. Help me out. Maybe this is too, too thick for the end of our conversation, which I do want to no, ask you. No, I, I do want to ask you about your work. But yeah, uh, no, I think. I mean, I think you have, you're asking a great question. Uh, I guess I would, I would say, I mean, the, the thing that's unchanging is the triune God and everything else um, is contingent on that. And so, um, I mean, I think God is kind of holding and, and sustaining and creating at all times. And it's the triune God that's unchanging. And so thus, what does that mean for us? And I, you know, um, I think our access and awareness, um, is always contingent. Um, I get it. and mm-hmm. so it's a, a conviction, a belief that it is God, uh, the immutable one, if you will, um, is unchanging, but then any ac- you know, anything that we have access to is, is going to be, uh, fraught with, uh, uns- uncertainty and change and, and challenges and so forth. And if I were to say, you know, where does that revelation come in? It, it, it's in the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That that's the full revelation of God. It's not scripture though. I have a high view of scripture. That's one of the problems probably in Protestantism is, is I think and sometimes we can err on worshiping scripture instead of Jesus. Um, That's our next conversation. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, you know, again, for all my Protestant friends out there, I have a high view of Scripture. Okay? <laughs> but uh, 
But I do believe the logos, the word that uh, the second person of the Trinity is in Jesus Christ is the full revelation of God. And, and that's the starting point. Mm. And so then everything else has to be kind of viewed through that, that prism, if you will, um, that this person of Jesus Christ, that's, that's the revelation. That's where I then with the spirits leading in the people of God. Cause again, it's, that's the key part is I think it's not just me, right. It's to recognize that it's this larger community of faith that, that collectively we're trying to get at um, this thing that we call truth and, and ultimately what we call God. Um, but it's, it's the community of faith through the power of the spirit following yeah. the incarnate one. And, and, and that is a, that's a journey. That's a path. There's divergences. We're going to get it wrong at times, and then, but we keep going. Right on. Uh, tell us about, before you go, what are you guys doing at Abilene Christian University these days in your department? Anything <laughs> cool? Are you going on a trip soon? Uh, I just got back, actually, from Oxford and Leipzig, Germany. Um, mm-hmm. We have study abroad programs there, so um, I just visited there which was great um i'd actually never been to either place so i've traveled a lot but it's been mostly in asia and uh latin america places like that um so how are your students Uh, doing as they come back from the pandemic are they are they healthy yeah i mean i that's you know it's across the board i think they're doing well they're glad to be back in person and, and going, um, you know, it, I, I don't know if we fully realized um, the effects of the pandemic, not just on students, but I think probably just the oh, world, sure. um, you know, I think there's, there's definitely uh, a sense that uh, stress and anxiety coming out of that. Um, I mean, when you think about students in college now, you know, they're some of them like their last year, or last two years of high school were, Kind of shot to my daughter. And now they're trying to trying to get move forward. So you know there there's a lot there, and I and a lot of empathy for what it means to be an 18 to 22 year old. You know, post pandemic, when nobody knew what was happening. So yeah, it's it's totally. it's a challenge, but uh, but you know, I think overall doing well. So yeah, right on. Well, guys, um, Darren Reese uh, down in Texas helping us figure out old world, new world and the Protestant reformation and where it fits. And that was, that was fantastic. Will you come, will you come back and keep me updated? You have such a nice, beautiful, pleasant way about you, man. Ah, ah, Well, thanks. It's true. Uh, I'd say the same about you. So I appreciate that. This is a joy. Yeah. Any, anytime I'm happy to to join you. It's fun talking about these things. So I I appreciate it. I'm, I'd like a good debate, but I would rather have a good, conversation but you know a good conversation it just does take some tension if everybody's just nodding away it's it's no good you know what i mean well it's it could be good it could be it could feel good i don't i don't know if we're learning anything so thank you darren i I and i appreciate you know you holding my protestant feet to the fire too so that's that's always good (laughs) so thank you brother so darren reese from from texas that was Darren Reese. I don't know, but the first time I spoke to him, I just really liked that guy. And then I thought, you know, he's got all this wisdom regarding overseas work and something like Christianity. I do stuff like that. I wouldn't call our work missionary work, but I would call his work of use, but mostly I would call his perspective and his insight on this thing called Protestantism. Protestants are out there and they're very fascinating and they don't call themselves Protestants. And he helped to illumine some of the corners of that world of which I am quite ignorant. That is our show. Don't forget to consider all the stuff we have on our website, including our restaurant, our KP journeys. We are going to Georgia in September, on September 16th. You should go. 
consider joining us for a later journey to Georgia. Organize your group. We'll take you. Or Guatemala or Sierra Leone. We have people. They will receive you. We know how to do these trips. Consider coming to Appalachia to visit us soon. Consider this. Consider this. Joining our night class by becoming a monthly donor. Mostly consider continuing your support by listening to this podcast. Hit like, hit love. Don't hit anyone else. Who loves you? Au revoir.